listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. Thank you for listening. The Infinite Smile Sangha is made possible by the generosity of friends, members, and people who have been touched by this teaching. Please visit our donations page at infinitesmile.org to help us continue our efforts in spreading the Dharma. Over the years, I've spent a fair amount of time talking about what typically brings us to practice, what brings us to meditative work, and so forth. And oftentimes, it's tragedy. It's something just, the, it's, it's as if the bottom falls out of our experience. And we're hungry for answers. We're searching for something. And at least in, in my case, uh, my introduction to Buddhism was fairly non-threatening. You know, I, I went out to uh, a Zen community and I sat with them. And I mean, the only thing that was weird was when I was learning how to meditate, you know, the formal, you know, the, the training and so forth. I had this... Uh, woman who was particularly um, clear on what should and shouldn't happen in the zendo, how you should and should not hold your hands and so forth. So it's this very um, fascinating kind of uh, bit of introductory training. And I found myself the whole time resisting it. It's like, Christ, I just, I'm just going to meditate. Can you just give me a breath? I'll just sit here. Why do I have to hold my hands like this, you know? Why do I have to, why do I, you know, so this, and partially, this made sense. Um, my personality, surprise, has always been one that's, you know, kind of pushing against whatever authority might be there. And so clearly this woman had some. And um, what I found was over the years that our ability to actually allow for this process to kind of occur. Allow for the structure, the, the superstructure, the, the uh, if you will, exoskeleton, the spiritual exoskeleton to be there. Um, and um, <laughs> let me change that. Allowing for structure to arise externally gave way to a structure that supported me internally. It was really fascinating. So initially, my Zen practice, and then later on my, uh, you know, Zogchen practice, and, you know, up in the Himalayas and so forth, and then in Thailand, all that practice initially was kind of like this shell protecting me from suffering, right? And what that gave way to when I began to re-explore my roots as a Zen student was it gave way to something that actually arose internally. A spine, if you will. Instead of a shell, I was utterly and completely vulnerable. Uh, and over time, this teaching, this stillness that came through meditation, 
this reading list that I kind of went through, everything started to kind of reform. Um, everything about experience. And talk to anybody in this room who's known me for a few years, I, I don't think I've really changed that much. Um, nor do I think that intense practice really changes you that much. What it does allow for is for us to let go of precisely everything that has gotten in our way. We begin to have a conscious, very deep relationship with all those things that have gotten in our way. Gotten in our way of what? Well, gotten in our way of actually being all that we are. And it's a process. It doesn't stop. You don't, you know, sit up in front of a group of people and start talking about this because you are a flawless, expert, awakened, to you know, no. You, you, you get to sit up here through just luck and hard work. And, you know, we have a community that actually is going to hopefully, over time, continue to support more and more people sitting up here. Um, as far as you're concerned right now, looking at where you're getting stuck, looking at where you're kind of hitting up against stuff, man, it's a gift. It is an absolute gift, and it's so hard to see. You're in utter, complete despair. Oh, the universe, it's giving you a big invite right there. That's one with the wax stamp at the, on the back, you know, really formal. Hey, 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 you hurting? Welcome, you know. There's a little bit of anxiety. Same kind of invitation, although it probably doesn't have the wax stamp on the back. It doesn't, look, it doesn't have the beautiful script on the front, but it's still, it's still there. So what do we do? Well, we sit still. And this is not easy, um, to the uninitiated especially. It's like, okay, yeah, that sounds really fun. I'll just sit here and cook. Okay, yeah. Except the thing is, that cooking, so to speak, that fire, that heat of your attention that is supported through meditation begins to burn away the stuff that gets in your way. It allows us to see things more clearly. A deeper and deeper and deeper clarity begins to infuse this experience. So we begin to, instead of get walloped by life situations, by heartbreak, by uh, 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 you know, the loss of job, of income, of uh, someone we love, that lo whatever it is, whatever kind of loss we're dealing with, suddenly that becomes something we can be, we actually start to, to stretch this metaphor a little bit, we begin to dance with it. It's extending its hand, it's saying, look, I'm here to deepen you. Are you ready? And rather than being spiritual wallflowers, I think it makes so much sense to accept the invitation. But I don't know the steps. Yes, you do. You just get out there and you dance. It will make perfect sense. You become very intimate with whatever it is, fearlessly. And what it does is it shows us what's true about us as opposed to 
what we have to maintain about ourselves. So before you think this is like a total downer, <laughs> we'll be serving cocktails afterwards. Uh, before you think that this is like really something brutal, it's actually, um, I think, beautifully inspiring in its own way. Um, there's so much for each of us, so much, so much to let go of. And in the process of that surrendering, there's so much, so much love waiting, waiting to be expressed through us. It's, it's, the love is ready. Are we? So here's the, uh, here's the practice tonight when we sit still. All you got to do is pay attention. Just pay attention. Pay attention to your breath. Pay attention to whatever thought comes up. Is it a memory that's coming up, keeps kind of hitting you? Is it a memory? Just, just say, ah, memory? Is it a judgment, an evaluation? Uh, here's the way this might, it might look at, uh, there's a memory, I hate that. Okay, we've got memory and judgment fused together. That tends to be heavy and sinks into our body and shows up as an emotion. Okay? Is it a plan? Is it, is it something in the future, some future salvation that you're authoring. When I'm able to, then everything, okay, if it's one of those, or if it's future dread, what might happen if, is it fear? Is it fear that something's gonna be taken? Is it fear that something might not work out the way you want it to work out? Is it that the outcome that you're clinging to might not happen? We can look at our experience in that, just in a simple, simple, simple way. Pay attention. What's happening in this very mind state? And in doing that, we start to develop a relationship with this broader presence that can witness the memory, can witness the judgment, can witness the plan. And that witness itself is a timeless freedom. That exposes everything that's false. So just sit still. And if you find yourself, find your mind kind of going all over the place, or you're ruminating over something, uh, rumination, you know. <laughs> those pesky death thoughts <laughs> you know whatever it is whatever it is just be there instead of pesky it might just be ah the thoughts of my own mortality worry fear right without giving it an evaluation, just, just be there.
and see what happens. We'll do this for 30 or so minutes. I'll come out, give a quick talk, have some Q&A. After last week's Dharma talk, where uh, everybody's packing up, and this uh, this uh, Sangha member stayed afterwards, and she said, "You know, I know I should probably ask this in, you know, Dokusan, you know, practice interview or something, but I just thought I'd throw this your way now, if that's okay." I'm like, "Yeah, far away." And she said, "I just feel like I have worked so hard." to perfect my ego, and it's like you're telling me that we got to ditch it, you know? We got to get rid of it, and so forth. And I'm like, whoa, 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 no. No, 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 it's not about getting rid of the ego. And then she kind of she went further and said, yeah, I know, because, I mean, we're talking 40, 50 years worth of therapy, and, you know, I'm like, yeah, it hasn't been wasted. The cash has not been wasted, young lady. Um, Anyway, the, uh, my response was, the ego itself is delusion. There's no such thing as ego. To which she, you know, had one of those, those puppy dog moments where she would, you know, <laughs> what, what? And it's, it's not, the, if you think about it, the ego this very thing in us which feels defensive, this thing in us which feels hurt, the thing in us which feels in control, the thing in us that wants to feel in control, the thing in us that says, if only this, then haha, right? It, that entity within us is merely the mind in motion. It's a label. Ego is a label we give to the mind in motion. We could also call it the I, as in I, I am drinking water. Now, am I drinking water? Of course I am. Okay? Are you sitting there? Of course you are. All right? But there's more. What is the eye sense that feels it's sitting? What is the eye sense that feels it's drinking and then evaluates the drink? Definitely Lafayette. Definitely La Lafayette. Thursday. <laughs> right? So what, what happens is, if we can imagine just this model, okay, and then make sure you let go of the model after I'm finished talking about it, but if we have this model of mind in motion, or as I keep telling you, my, my three-year-old, when she was hearing me talk about uh, uh, psychology and so forth, um, she thought that, that I was saying ego, <laughs> which is such a great way of looking at it, because it's going. It's the mind actually going after something, or what? Pushing something away. So the aspect in our awareness that is doing that, that is going after stuff and pushing stuff away, is in motion. 
It's, it's the spiritual weeble. It's forward, backward, but it's never actually upright unless no influence is pushing it one way, shape, or it, it can balance beautifully in an upright way. But then the minute it gets knocked, it starts, you know. And this is a great way of looking at our own minds. They get knocked. Some of us have minds that are knocked very easily. And so we go off center and we're, we're constantly, we're not grounded, so to speak. We're not, we're not centered. We're not stable. So where I'm, where I'm going with this is we have this ability through practice, practiced stillness, to get so clear about what exactly is going on internally. We start seeing our thinking. We start seeing thoughts. Eckhart Tolle talks about it in Power of Now so beautifully. He says, pretend you are watching a mouse hole. And every thought that comes up is like a mouse. And you can identify it as either a memory or a plan. There is memory mouse and there is plan mouse. Okay. And you're just that cat. And that's kind of what the witness is. The witness is that, that uh, uh, presence that actually watches whatever arises. Ego, on the other hand, sees what arises and then creates a story about what has arisen. It's moving with it. Okay? If there is stillness, the ego cannot exist in its normal capacity. Which is exactly why we sit in meditation. If you're one of those people who sits in meditation, their mind is constantly doing this type of thing, the way you know, out of that monkey mind, as we say in Buddhism, is to begin to watch the monkey mind, recognize it. Oh, there's monkey mind. Huh. That witnessing presence that's watching the monkey mind is utterly and completely still. And as we begin to, once again, back into that, st that still aspect of being, that always already still aspect of being, what happens? We're no longer bound by this repetitive thought structure. Okay? We're no longer bound by always feeling like a victim, let's say. Or suddenly feeling like we're out of control when we've always been in control. We begin to actually have an opening. And this opening carries us past what is moving. Rather than being bound by what is, uh, I, I've said this before, what is, what is, uh, created, or what is made, or what is born. We are all about what is, as the Buddha says, unmade, uncreated, unborn. We are actually prior to any evaluation. What's true in us is actually prior to any type of story. We're before all of that. So take this is usually easiest with something negative. So take a disaster. Take a disaster. Take something that's thrown you. 
And as I mentioned in the first part of my talk, this is oftentimes a great gift uh, because it puts us into this sudden recognition, oh my God, I don't have all the answers. I wonder if there's a way out of this. I wonder if there's a way that can help me through this. And the practice, I think, as we work on it here, this idea of stillness, so that we can then begin to view the entirety of our experience as it is without flinching. What does it do? It actually generates this beautiful kind of soft structure, this container, this, if you will, exoskeleton as we start that transforms into the spine and skeleton as we continue on which we're able to kind of create the flesh of a new way of being, indeed of a new being itself. We find that as we incorporate stillness and we can see the mind and its motion, we can see the ego, we can also recognize the e-stop. <laughs> We can start to see, <laughs> we can start to see that we don't have to create a story about anything. Stories take care of themselves. I don't know if you've noticed that in life. There's plenty of stuff that just kind of keeps, you know, coming up. Great, entertaining. Okay. We don't have to do anything about the thoughts. We don't have to get rid of the thoughts. We don't have to try to undo our conditioning. Oh, I was raised in a way that made me, oh yeah. Well, I better, I need at least five more years of therapy for that to be undone. You don't have to do that. I'm a big fan of therapy. I think Western therapy is actually incredibly helpful, especially when combined with deep, authentic spiritual work, whatever its flavor. But when we can start to get into a space where we no longer are hanging on to our conditioning as an explanation for what is. When we're no longer hanging on to the self-authored little scripts we have about whatever has happened to us, especially the dark stuff. When we, when we, no lo when we just go, oh, well, here's what is. And yeah, there's sadness affiliated with it. Oh my God, I'm really crying right now. Or isn't this great? How cool is this? When we're no longer attached to any type of outcome of whatever arises, what we have then is this ability to meet the world as a receiver and a giver of gifts. We are a through line of generosity. And the cool thing, when we are in that space of generosity, I mean, I think you could, you could really make the argument superficially, we're always at our best when we're giving. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, we're giving when we're, you know, truly giving. It's like, it's like we're, we're just, it's like why we're, why we're here. Some relationships really kind of bring that out. Some don't. But explore that for yourself. Test, test. Don't take my word for that. Just try, try it on. When we're giving, it's like we're, we're at our best. It's as if there is something limitless about who and what we are and what we're about. And this work, when we begin to 
instead of always be in that e-going space, we're actually e-stopping, we suddenly are this conduit, this conduit for love. No matter what, we're conduit for love because that's the way it is. <laughs> Not because it's something we should do. There is only openness. There's nothing closed. There's nothing about us that's fearful because there's nothing to be afraid of. Nothing can be taken. We're consciously an expression of the infinite. And what an amazing thing. What an amazing thing to be able to rest in this faith that everything's going to be just fine. There are definitely going to be hiccups. There are definitely going to be bumps. There are definitely, definitely going to be suffering and pain. There's definitely going to be glory. There's definitely going to be all these, uh, all these things will be there. But our relationship to every one of those arisings will begin to continually come from a place of steadiness, will consciously come from a place of openness, of non-defense, of non-division, all because instead of following and going with thought, the eye sense is actually able to get a really clear recognition of its own source, which is freedom, which is love, which is joy, which is eternal. <clears throat> I keep having the image. Remember the Grinch? Grinch who stole Christmas? And you know when they do that little x-ray thing on his heart? They say, and that day the Grinch's heart grew, it grew two sizes that day, I think is the line. And it shows it breaking through the uh, x-ray. That's kind of what happens. That's an awakening. Grinch style. And what did he do? He goes down to Whoville and gives them the gifts that they already had. Now, it's never been my practice to and a Dharma talk and a Dr. Seuss illusion. <laughs> so I'll just kind of sum up here in a really, really basic, basic way. This, this path that we're on, this, uh, when we start kind of shouldering authentic spirituality, quite literally initially feels like a lot of work. And it goes from taking the busy mind, the busy life, taking the pain, the suffering that we're actually dealing with constantly, and we're actually putting it into some type of context. We're actually trying to get underneath it all and around it all, and it happens miraculously as we start to slow down, as we start to get still. And then as we start to get still, there's this beautiful recognition of an ability to see all of that busy, an ability to be aware of how everything is kind of taking shape in our life. We can be the seer 
as opposed to the seen. We can be the witness of events rather than bound by events. We can be the I prior to I, or as Ramana Maharshi talks about, the I, I. We can begin to actually have a sense of something broader, something bigger, something totally open. And then we begin to carry that openness into the day-to-day -day world, no longer knocked around quite so much as we might have been before. Ready for anything to come up. Not feeling defensive, not feeling like we got to be ready for combat, but rather we are ready to accept whatever shows up in whatever capacity. And then that allows us to become a gift. It allows us to physically, emotionally, spiritually, to become something that's far more real than the delusion of ego, than the falsehood of our small sense of self. Paradox, isn't it? Yes. But it's it's true. It's true. It's true. Yeah. And it's it's so it's a time to watch what my mind does. Mm -hmm. And certainly more than once I notice my mind going off and reviewing something that happened earlier in the day and you know, and those are clearly egoic. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> and and e-stopping. E right. I didn't have those words then, but now I do. Well, I thank you. I thank my uh, three-year-old. Thank That's you. A, yes, right. But then um, there, I kind of was still for a little while, and then I had a, a really good idea. For, of a, I, oh, there's a letter I have to write, mm -hmm. and something kind of came. Now, is there a time when thinking... I choose to think. That isn't egoing. I'm walking along and I'm working over and thinking about something on purpose. Right. Do I need to go home and sit at the desk to have it be a legitimate time? Oh, no. I, I think that's just fine. I just think that's fine. But, but it's not the kind of meditation I'm talking about. I think when we, when we allow for rumination to occur, for ideas to spring and so forth, that's going to be a very different quality of consciousness than watching whatever arises without being moved by it. So, Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, so I know walking and doing that was not meditation, mm -hmm. except it, it sort of, it can be. Yeah, it's, then, it's like meditation light, light uh -huh. you know? And I think it's incredibly useful. I mean, like, uh, have you ever had ideas that show up, like, during sleep? Yeah. It's the same type same of thing, idea. right? Now, when we're sleeping, we're not meditating. Okay. Um, even in dreamless sleep, we are experiencing the, maybe the delta wave patterns that we might experience when we're on our cushion, you know, after 20 minutes or so. But there's, there's generally speaking, a qualitative difference. Still, stillness allows for those flashes 
to show up. And so what's the appropriate response when that, when that arises? Yeah, jot it down or, or whatever you need to do. It's like, oh boy, that's great. But then if getting caught by it, right. where it becomes a rumination, mm -hmm. you know, th then that, that might be something to look at. Yeah. But I don't think... It's just watching. Yeah. Yeah, it, and what th this goes back to my point. When we begin to watch the mind, the mind becomes this fabulous tool. Mm -hmm. When the mind tools us, right, we don't have nearly the options available. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, the, and the mind will say, this is just a good idea now for you to work on. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, right. Yeah, I see. Good job. Mm -hmm. Hope that letter just... <laughs> I did it. <laughs> Good. Good for you. So, um, I don't understand how you go from being an observer, a witness, um, the ego, juggling thoughts and responding to life. Because when you respond to life, that's the ego making a choice. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, I, see, I see what you're saying. Um, I, I think that that there are uh, there are moments when we don't choose; we just respond from a place of connectivity. Okay, so not every action, not every action that you take, is egoic. In fact, the non-egoic actions that you take are almost always generous, okay? An egoic, an egoic action is going to be what we call karmic. It's, it, it comes from separate sense of self, okay? This is either going to benefit or harm me if I do this. And I want to maximize benefit. I want to maximize those returns. That's always going to be egoic, okay? Non-egoic is how can I serve? How can service work through this thing called me? Okay? So what, what's the generous response? What's the appropriate response? The appropriate response is always going to be one that comes from not feeling separate and how do I maximize uh, my return, but rather how do I maximize love? Well, you can, I mean, you can. being fully present and just seeing what kind of comes up and And it also means you can plan. And you can actually, if you're acting in the moment of your planning, your plan may actually show up to be something far more magnificent than you ever had planned. It also might mean that you plan to get this thing accomplished, but because you were present, you were able to get this thing accomplished. So presence is the key to the entire you really want to talk about maximization? Be present. Because suddenly, suddenly it's not about maximizing anything for a you or a me, amigo. Instead, it's about maximizing something for all beings. Everyone, everyone concerned. All concerned. It's like, and to add to that, um, being present doesn't mean you can't set goals. 
Being present means you set goals really well. You set them. You know, they may not show up the way you thought. In fact, they probably won't. But that doesn't mean you don't use them as, as beacons. You just don't get distracted by their light if another light shows, shows itself too. So it's actually, it's, you can be very, very productive uh, as a pr practitioner. It's not like, you know, hey, man, whatever. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, that, that spiritual couch potatoes are just, you know, I mean, when they really, literally, I mean, there are people who attach to non-attachment. What do they become? Oh, everything's fine. If I just say yes to everything, it will be, f no, now you've lost your spine. Now you're, now simply your, uh, your spiritual practice is still at that exoskeleton stage where it's just turning, offering you a cocoon or an identity where nothing's really happening. You know, you're just really proud of the fact that you're a Buddhist or a Christian or, you know. So then to, to sum up how yeah. one would respond, it's, it's really just by being really present and seeing kind of, even if you maybe put some thought into how you would like to respond, it's about being really present and seeing what comes. Knowing that you may respond the way you planned or you may not, but it doesn't really. No, because what's, what's inspiring you now is what's huge in you as opposed to what's limited. And that huge thing always ends up showing up as generosity for everyone. Always. Yeah. Thank you for coming tonight.